Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 28. Uh, This is coming out on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. I hope everyone had a, um, a fun, happy, safe Thanksgiving and Hope if you are participating in the madness known as Black Friday, I hope it's a little less mad this year. I mean, we certainly need it, along with so many other things, to be a little less mad this year. By the way, 30 seconds ago, you just finished listening to the theme music from this podcast. And it's a piece that I composed and performed right before episode one. And I've made it available on sheet music. You can actually go to my website at davidlanemusic.com slash sheet music. And sheet music is separated with the dashes, sheet dash music. Uh, Or you can just click on sheet music if you go to the podcast section of my website, which is davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. And just go check that out. Uh, If you play piano, want to learn it, it's free. You can download it. There is a place that you can donate um, if you feel so inclined, and I'm grateful for each and every donation, but you're, there's no obligation to do that. Uh, and if you're on Instagram, uh, do check out, um, I did a demonstration of playing it live. So having a little fun, uh, the podcast has been around five months, so I wanted to do something to kind of celebrate. Uh, so please go check that out. Anyway, this was a great week for the podcast, uh, new listeners, uh, the amount of listening this past couple of weeks is up 100% uh, compared to uh, the previous two weeks. And uh, I just thank you. You guys are sharing these episodes. You are, um, we, had a, we had a new review. Uh, it's, I'm just so thankful for you getting the word out about this podcast. I'm really having a blast talking to people all over the country, all over the world, uh, getting to learn some things myself as I as I talk to them about their craft. I'm really looking forward to today's episode as well as all the other episodes that I have coming up. Um, I've talked to people in Seattle. I've talked to people in Florida. And today we're going to be talking about Chicago. But first, just kind of an idea of uh, what the rest of 2020 will be like for this podcast Uh, Normally, the episodes come out every Friday, and uh, that's going to be the case for definitely the next couple of weeks. And then we get really close to Christmas, and Friday is the winner of the holiday lottery this year. Both Christmas Day and New Year's Day are on Fridays. Seems like not a great day to drop a podcast episode, so uh, for Christmas week, I will probably have one episode around that time. I may have another special episode in there at some point. So the schedule is going to get off a little bit. I'll try to keep you um, in tune at the end of each episode, but also I'll put updates on either Twitter or um, on Instagram at Life in the Pit Pod. So that's what's coming up. We'll do our best to negotiate around the holidays and then back to Fridays uh, as soon as we get to the 8th of January. onward should be good to go for a while okay so today i'm sharing my conversation with valerie mays valerie is a music director and conductor and keyboardist who lives in chicago she does a lot of work with uh, some of the 
professional houses there, a lot of the theaters, uh, specifically with the Lyric Opera. She has an extensive amount of experience in both the professional world and the academic world. Uh, previously, she was the theater music director for Elon University. Uh, if you remember just a few episodes, uh, I shared my conversation with Heidi Dalek, who is currently the staff accompanist or one of the staff accompanists for the theater department at Elon University. And uh, so we're, we'll have some memories about that. But specifically, this is the first time I have talked to someone who works in Chicago. So looking forward to talking about some of the opportunities that are in that area. And we'll also talk about quite a bit more. Um, Valerie has a few things to share about what it's like to be a music director or conductor and also be a woman in this day and age. And without further delay, here is my conversation with Valerie Mays. Valerie, thank you for being on my show today. And um, just well, just for the benefit of the listeners, please tell us a little bit about yourself. And I guess let's make that two parts. Uh, when there's not a pandemic and while there is a pandemic, describe what you do on a regular basis. Great. Thank you. Um, thank you for asking me to be here. Um, so, yeah, when we're not in a pandemic, let's talk about something positive. Right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, when I'm not in a pandemic, um, I'm so I'm a music director, I'm a conductor, I'm a pianist, so I kind of wear a bunch of hats. Um, but a lot of what I do is music directing shows, kind of some of what we're talking about today. Um, so I, um, I'm from Chicago. Um, I was in North Carolina for a few years at Elon University, uh, music directing in their music theater program, but I'm back in Chicago now, moved back home. Um, so yeah, I work at various houses, um, various regional houses. Um, I've done a lot of work at the Lyric Opera of Chicago. They have a music theater initiative. Um, that I've taken part in. I also do um, um, opera because I was trained classically as well. So I, I have my hands in that. Um, work, like I said, work at regional houses. I do some academic work, um, some adjunct work. I, like I said, I was at Elon for a few years. Um, in this uh, pandemic world, because shows like a lot of people, I lost several shows <laughs> that I was supposed to be doing right. uh, during this time. But um, right now, what I'm doing is a lot of piano lessons, a lot of coaching, which I do anyhow. I like to do uh, audition prep and audition coaching. Um, and I'm uh, working at, a, I just started working at a high school, plan, you know, as an accompanist because they're still up and running partially on like a hybrid schedule. So that's right. kind of what I'm doing now. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, my, my wife has uh, played a few shows at Elon before and... Um, She's spoken very highly of you. It's like, uh, she, she really enjoyed, I think she played maybe even two productions. Under yeah, you, so. she did. Yeah, right. she did. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, let's just talk a little bit about, uh, Chicago. Cause you're the first person I've spoken to from the Chicago area. Um, you know, when people think of Broadway, or I should say when they, when people think of theater, they think of New York, but there's a lot of areas in this country with, with theater. So, um, how how does Chicago, I guess it's a bit unfair to say how does Chicago compare to New York because New York really specializes in that. But how would you yeah. say Chicago compares to other metro areas uh, of the country yeah. in terms of theater? Yeah, Chicago's a great theater town. I've loved working here. There are just amazing actors. Um, 
it's there's just a lot going on. Um, you know how it compares to other. I think it's one of the the top like theater towns as far as what's going on. There's lots of big regional houses. So you've got like Drury Lane, Marriott, um, Chicago Shakespeare, Goodman, Steppenwolf. And then there's like a million others um, on top of that. The Broadway in Chicago. So a lot of Broadway shows come through here. They sit down for a while. You know, Hamilton was here for a few years. Um, Mm -hmm. Billy Elliot sat down for, I don't remember how long it was, maybe at least a year. Wicked was here a very long time. And then, you know, shows come in for a couple weeks at a time. So a lot of musicians, um, pit players are able to get work in those pits with whatever group they're not traveling with, of course. Um, yeah, there's just, a, and there's a lot of quality straight theater. There's a lot of great improv work being done here. A lot of great storefront. So it's just a really, it's a very active theater town. Right. Yeah. And then like uh, Lynn Miranda, when he retired from Hamilton, if I'm not mistaken, he directly was involved in getting it uh, in Chicago, that was like his next stop. If I'm not yeah, mistaken, yeah, it was so. one of the first cities that they put it up, and then it, of course, it it went. It was you know people loved it here. People loved it here. I mean, it when they shut down, it wasn't for lack of audiences. I think they. I mean, they could have just stayed here forever. People would have just kept coming. Right. I've only been to Chicago once. Uh, my wife and I went two years ago, and uh, she went to, as part of the. You know, she plays harp, so. Uh, She's part of the Lion and Healy Summer Workshop. Oh yeah, because yeah, they have their their uh, their main building there is in Chicago. And uh, while she you know, while she did that and did a little bit of sightseeing, I I was full time sightseeing. And uh, you know, I saw some of the theaters you mentioned. Of course, went walked. Uh, we stayed with people who were less than a mile from Second City. <laughs> oh nice, that's yeah. a really fun area. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it up there. Um, Let's talk about how did you get into music? So you've mentioned piano and voice, and I know um, Mm -hmm. I've met music directors who are vocalists that pick up piano, and I've Mm -hmm. met music directors who are pianists and pick up a little bit of vocal pedagogy. Uh, Which side do you come from? I was a pianist first, for sure. Yeah, I started piano when I was, I don't know, I was six or seven years old. My mom was a music teacher at the time. Um, so, you know, we just, we took piano. That's just what happened in the house. Right. And then, um, but then I just ended up loving it. I played clarinet in high school and then ended up quitting that and just stuck with piano. Um, so I definitely came up that route. But, you know, when I was in high school, I was real involved in choirs. So that's when I started picking up vocal things. Like my teacher was nice enough to let me try to conduct choir once in a while and Mm -hmm. and you know and one of the 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 stories I tell is um I really realized I was really cut out to do like music direction playing you know playing the piano in rehearsals was I was in a in my junior year in high school I was in Fiddler on the Roof and I was playing Hoddle and Mm -hmm. I I never was that great of an actress. I was okay, you know, but I was up there and I was you know doing my thing and and like on breaks and stuff like that I would go and like make fixes. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, I think that harmony part's wrong. Or I, if the pianist was either late or not there or something, I'd be like, well, I can just play rehearsal. And then it kind of dawned on my teacher and I that I was just on the wrong side of the table. So <laughs> right. I sort of moved. And then in, high, in college, I was a piano major and a marketing major. Right. But um, yeah, I was a piano major and was in all the choirs. I accompanied them and I sang in them, played for a lot of voice lessons. And that's where I started to pick up you know, some vocal things. And then I started loving working with singers and actors. And 
So that's right. kind of have you ever had any formal vocal lessons, or has it all been just osmosis? And as no, I've had some lessons. Yeah, just to kind of help me feel what it's like to breathe like a singer breathes and and to actually have to do it myself yeah right. I've some lessons yeah, yeah I, i'm uh my background's very similar i was a pianist and i never uh well, i started doing working with church choirs when i was in college and i never did a theater show until i was in my 30s and oh. you know what i've always told people is like i, I can teach you the parts <laughs> but it's like yeah. if you start asking me questions about head voice and uh, you know, chest voice and mix and, you know, what do you do your soft palate? It's like, I'm going to send you to a voice teacher and <laughs> have them do yeah. that. But then yeah. I did, I took just, uh, I was honestly, I only had time for one. I took one f- full hour, you know, voice lessons, but it was so productive that it gave me some tools, you know, that I could use, you know, it's still, still, I'm not a vocal expert, but right. it gave me some things I could do. So, um, you know, I think even just a few voice lessons can make a big difference if you've got a well-rounded music background. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's definitely a fine line. Like what I usually, how I approach it is if I hear a singer doing something and there's something I don't quite want, I'll ask a question like, are you in your head voice now? Are you in your mix? Are you in your belt? And then if they tell me, I, I, I say something like, well, what would your teacher This is the sound I want. I give them the sound I want. I want kind of a beltier sound. I'm not going to tell you to be in your belt. That's just the sound I want. Mm -hmm. I want a heavier sound. What would your teacher ask you to do? And that way I'm not messing with their technique and, you know, I leave that to the teacher. Right. (laughs) I just tell them what I want to hear. (laughs) So... Um, so, you, so you mentioned Fiddler on the Roof. Was that your first theater experience, uh, or when did you cross the table? As you say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was it. Was like my junior year. I think before that, in high school, I think I was in Bye Bye Birdie. Mm. I believe I was in Bye Bye Birdie, and I might have been like in the chorus of applause or something like that. Um, but yeah, I was kind of, I always kind of toggled back and forth. Sometimes I would be in a show, like maybe community theater or something growing up. And then sometimes I'd be like, can I play rehearsals? I loved accompanying even when I was in grammar school, I sort of took to that. So I definitely came up as a pianist and I, and I really found my love for accompanying classical and pop and music theater pretty young. Yeah, I enjoyed being at the piano. <laughs> so, uh, so what point did you? Uh, what what show did you play for first on keyboard? I assume I assume, I assume before you music directed, you probably played keyboard. Yes, yes. Um, let's see. Are you talking professionally now? I'll just no. Uh, your your first experience. Oh, my yeah. very. I think I actually think it was applause. My my first year of high school. Okay. I, I was helping play rehearsals for applause then probably stumbling my way through who knows okay <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you continue through high school did you do other yeah. shows yes I did all the shows in high school I either was on stage and like I said I would go back and forth I would play some I would I would be on stage they were just I went to a really great high school um I my my teacher was Melanie Mahalik and um you know we're still in contact and she was a huge influence in me um you know, uh, she just gave me lots of experiences. I think that maybe some high school teachers wouldn't give students in high school. And I right. think she's the one, you know, she and she had me singing at like contests, singing and playing. She's like, you need to keep singing. She would give me some voice lessons. And she said, no matter what you want to do, you know, you got to have a basis in this. And she'd let me get up in front of the choir sometimes and, you know, beat a pattern. <laughs> so. Right. 
Yeah. I think those opportunities are so helpful. Um, you know, I, I, I only have a, a master's degree. I went, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm in this area because I went to North Carolina School of the Arts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't speak as highly from a personal experience of that school as I do Jacksonville University in Florida, simply mm-hmm. because of the very reasons. Like in, at North Carolina School of the Arts, their philosophy is what what thing do you want to do more than anything else? And we will help you with that. We will help you be the best at that. But um, it's not like if you're a pianist, I'd like to try conducting or I'd like to try composing. They're going to give you a lot of opportunities for that. But Jacksonville, um, everybody was cooperative. Here, write a piece for chorus and you can conduct it. And write a piece for orchestra or band, you can conduct that. In the orchestra, I played French horn. But uh, if we had four horns and only called for two, it's like, David, go try timpani. <laughs> you know, you know exactly. you've had a few percussion yeah. lessons. Let's go try that. And every time you do that, you, you build up that toolbox, as I like to say, uh, for what you can use. Absolutely. You know, and I, my experience, um, my training might've been a little different, but my master's was in collaborative piano at Cincinnati. And also I speak really highly of them. You know, it was mostly, it was classical training Mm -hmm. um, for the, for that two years, but I really developed, you know, I developed my chops there, like as far as playing, because if you can get through a collaborative, you know, piano program and you're just playing so much rap. And I think that ultimately helped me in, as I started doing going back to doing more music theater when I got out. Like I said, I was doing both, but that really helped me. You know. um, uh, could you elaborate on that? What is collaborative piano? Yeah, collaborative piano programs are set up um, basically to develop, you know, you learn coaching skills in opera and in art song and mm. oratorio. Um, and a lot of people go on to do a lot of recital work. I've done some recital work. I probably haven't done as much as some people that I graduated with, but I have done some recital work. And a lot of people end up in universities. They end up, um, you know, when I worked at Lyric Opera, I've also worked like as a dance pianist there, assistant conductor on some shows, which means you could be playing rehearsals. I've done a few shows there doing that and then the music theater. So it trains you for a wide variety of things in opera houses, universities, you know, coaching, you develop your language skills a little bit. So they're really great programs. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I, I can't yeah. say that I have actually heard of that before, or it's one of those things like collaborative piano. It's maybe I have, and it, and it just kind of went to one compartment of my mind. And I didn't really think about, I, you know, I don't really know what that is. And, and yeah. so I'm glad yeah. you explained that, that, that actually sounds like uh, for listeners who are aspiring music directors, it sounds like uh, a good program to consider. Yeah, it's another way up. Like I said, they don't focus on music theater, but I knew I wanted to do both. And I knew where I was lacking was in some of my skills to be able to work in an opera house. I've done a lot of regional work as well in opera houses. So I knew that's where I, I had done so much music theater. I knew that's where I needed to kind of beef up my skills a little bit. So, right. Um, so, so we talked about some first shows. What was your first show? And again, it doesn't have to be professional. Your first experience as a music director for a show. Oh, my first experience. Let's see. Um, okay. <laughs> I want to turn off for a second. I have to think about this. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. I'll edit that out. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have to think about that for a minute. You know, I, I assisted a little bit in, um, in, uh, 
in my college years, I assisted like on Oklahoma and a couple other shows. You know, I can't remember my exact first show. Isn't oh. that funny? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I would have to, I would have to think about that. Like my very, very first show that I music directed. Um, you know, I'd have to say maybe where I took, like I did the entire show myself might've been cabaret at Penn players back in 2006. Okay. Yeah. I, I probably did some smaller ones before that, but that was probably one of the bigger shows. Okay. Yeah. Oh, great. Um, yeah. so as you mentioned, you play, I mean, you, you've music directed and played for a lot of different worlds in the classical world. Um, which sounds like it includes dance and opera and uh-huh. uh, as well as theater. Um, what, uh, what are some of the similarities between all of those worlds? And then what are some specific differences for each? Yeah, you know, there, there are definitely um, one interesting difference is in the opera world. And a lot of people don't realize this. like in the opera world, when you show up day one for rehearsal, everybody has their music learned. Hmm. You basically do a read through of the show. And you might even start staging that afternoon or the next morning. Um, the different, and so, but in music theater, sometimes like the leads and stuff will have most of their music learned. And, but a lot of times the ensemble will show up the first day, you know, maybe they, they might have been given their books, maybe not. And you start going through, as you know, you start going through the ensemble music and learning it. Um, so you, you, you take a little more time to learn the music together um, there's a little more time given to that. So I think that's one of the big differences. I think, um, you know, opera has come a long way. So, um, it, it, right, not a long way. I think they've um, shifted how they think about things. I think there's, I feel like in this day and age, there's more focus on the acting. So I would say, um, you know, in music theater, you know, it's a similarity and a difference. I think they're both storytelling. Mm-hmm. Both genres want to storytell. Um, but I think in, um, music theater, sometimes they were actors first right? before they ever sang. So it's all about the storytelling and then they're going to sing where a lot of opera singers, you know, they sang, they were trained, they're trained singers. And then sometimes they develop their acting, acting chops later a little bit. So I think it's just kind of where the focus is, but I think it's, it's ultimately on storytelling. Right. But I think some of it's just the process, you know, music theater. It's, it's how you come to rehearsal. You know, it's, it's just set up a little different. But the similarities would be, you know, once you get the music run, up and running, you, you know, you do your staging rehearsals and then you get into tech and you do your zits probes or vondel probes or whatever you have and dress rehearsals. So then that's, that all becomes the same. Right. That, that reminded me of a quote that, um, that, that uh, allegedly was said by Stephen Sondheim, you know, because a lot of people ask me, what's the difference between an opera and a musical? And they ask that, especially when you're doing something like um, Les Miserables, which is, yeah. uh, you know, it's nonstop music. It's just kind of like a, an opera. Yeah. You know, you don't really have a lot of spoken scenes. And, uh, and, and, I, and I looked that up. I looked up the answer. And the first one, I don't know who said it. Um, was what if you go to an opera house it's an opera if you go to a theater it's a it's a musical but Stephen Sondheim apparently said um it when people go to uh an opera they expect 
mediocre acting and great singing. And if they go to see a, a Broadway show, they they expect mediocre singing and great acting. <laughs> I don't know. Right. That's probably yeah. unfair, but that uh, yeah, I think yeah, I, I hear what he's saying though. It's where the focus is. Right. I think it's where the focus. But I said I think in this day and age, I think things are shifting so much that everybody is required. Mm-hmm. To, to up their game in, in the, all the disciplines. I mean, I've seen, I've met opera singers now who are out taking dance lessons. You know what I mean? I just think the, I just think the whole genres evolved, both genres have evolved so much that there's so much competition to right. that I more and more is expected. Yeah. Well, I think uh, in all art forms, you're also, you're trying to keep it alive in a changing world and, um, you know, and keeping audiences' attention, especially, you know, audiences now that are, um, you know, they'll watch five or ten seconds of a YouTube video, but mm. at it at most before they've, eh, it's not for me, and skipped on. So like, there's so many things, and I, and I think being well rounded and also you know just being open to new ideas is what everybody's having to do if they're going to survive. Right. you know, and thrive in this day and age. Right. Absolutely. I agree. Um, let's take it from the, from working with the actors to working with an orchestra. How does that compare? I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to make an assumption that like with a typical opera, you probably get a little larger orchestra than when you do with it, than you do with a show. Yes. Yeah. Uh, sure. But, but what are, what are some other, are, I mean, are, are they similar in how much preparation time you get? Like, um, like how much time you get to spend with an orchestra before dress rehearsal and how many dress rehearsals they get. You're, you're talking between opera and music theater now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Working with, or it's, I think what's a little different is an opera, the parts, unless you're doing a newer work, mm -hmm. the parts are done. Mm -hmm. Like you may find little mistakes here and there, like any rehearsal, right. But they're done where I feel like in music theater, because reductions are done so often, unless you're lucky enough to have the full, you know, the full, um, the full orchestration, um, I feel like there's a little more time that has to be spent in rehearsal going, huh, I'm missing that. You know how it is. Like I'm missing that, that lead line. Oh wait, who has that? Did, did we put that in the read book or, you know what I mean? So I think more time has to be, um, futz, you know, a little more futzing has to be done. And then also, you know, in music theater, especially in this day and age with, I feel like with reduced budgets too, a little bit, you're getting into second keyboards and third keyboards. So you have programming in the mix. Right. And sometimes, you know, I'll be sitting in a rehearsal and I'll listen and I'll be like, we need more strings. We need a fuller string sound. So then you have to like, futz, you know, if you have a programmer or whoever did the programming, um, you have somebody fixing the programming. So I just feel like there's more of that that has to happen. I feel like the amount of time is about the same. There might be an extra rehearsal in music theater because you do have to work through some of that stuff. But you know, you might have two or three rehearsals with professionals, right? You just you just read through the score and then you get to your Zitz probe. So that would that would be the same. Right. Have you ever had to spend time programming other people's keyboards? You know, I have done a little bit of programming, um, very basic, but I, I often hire, there's a, you know, a guy in Chicago, Ethan, uh, that I love to work with. He's an amazing programmer, but if I need like real programming done, I hire someone like him. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's one of those funny things in my experience is that 
the smaller the theater gig, uh, the more you have to do your own programming. It's like if I'm if I'm music directing, um, you know, for community theater, um, I've got to program my keyboard. If I hire a second keyboard, it's like you've got to program your keyboard. <laughs> uh, right. Unless I have a second one, then I'll I'll be doing it for you. Uh, but if I go, you know, to play for a professional gig, usually they have a keyboard and they programmed it, and I just have to, you know, feel familiarize myself with the controls absolutely you just you just yeah you just i so i've played program i've played some pretty complicated programming especially like when i do i've done a lot of young audience shows Mm -hmm. now and so when i sit down and play oftentimes there's only three or four people in the pit and sometimes it'll be like two keyboards percussion and reeds maybe that might be it maybe a maybe a string instrument maybe not, you know, just very, very small. So there's so much that's in the keyboard. And I've often played very heavily programmed keyboards where I'm also music directing. And, you know, you just kind of hold your breath till the end of the show and hope you don't like get off a patch or something and trying to keep the show together. So have you ever had to manage with something like, uh, and, and this is six years ago for me, so um, it may be out of date, but um, like MTI has Orc Extra. Uh, okay. Are you familiar with that? Have you ever... Have you ever had to use I've that? Never used it. Uh, yeah, it's where you you basically tap the tempo of each beat, and you know if there are controls like if something happens, an actor skips ahead, you can you can somehow quickly catch up with them or something like that, or you can you can put a vamp in at any point. Um, I, it was so much I didn't uh, I didn't have time to learn that. Plus, I was leading four other instruments. Yeah, but but you know, basically, you're con- you're conducting like this tap on the left hand the whole time. Right. Keep the beat pattern with the right, Absolutely. and um, and it was for Miss Saigon. It was a bit tedious because there's wow. no break. You know, yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's uh, that's just kind of some of the other technology things. You know, I guess the benefit of Orca Extra, uh, you know, from uh, someone who's paying money for the show per, you know, who's producing the shows that it, uh, it covers all the orchestral orchestral instruments, mm-hmm. but they're, they're all synthesized. Uh, I guess the nice thing about it though, is that it, each one has its own track. And so if you have a live trumpet, you mute the trumpet. And if you have a live, um, saxophone player, you mute the saxophone. So you, you're kind of able to oh. mix them together, but right. yeah, the, the, the whole, I, I, I sort of feel like it's a cross between, playing playing with tracks conducting tracks and playing on a keyboard and it's just you know, it makes you a little bit nervous <laughs> yeah, yeah you exactly. don't feel like you have full control no you don't you don't when you're using it with electronics they they they, they are the final say <laughs> the electronic right. part sometimes um as i mentioned uh you know community theater that that's uh the difference Mm-hmm. Um, I, I assume that you've played for a lot of different theaters. I know for a fact that you, you've played for universities. You've also played for regional professional companies. Are there differences in uh, the resources? Are there differences in the expectations going from one group to another? Yeah, there definitely are. You know, um, when you're working in educational theater, the 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 primary goal is exactly right. What's in the word it's education, Mm -hmm. right? So I think what's different is, you know, at Elon, I was super fortunate because the students are just so talented there, but they're still learning. They're still developing and they're in those shows to continue developing their skills. So I think the difference is, is I have a little bit more of a 
It's like, I always told them, like I ran the rehearsal, like I would run a professional rehearsal. Nothing really, what I expected of them um, as far as like, you know, even little things like don't talk in between when I'm talking, you know, just even like rehearsal protocol. I was really big wanting to make sure that they were ready for the professional world as far as like what is expected, um, you know, with protocol and mm-hmm. rehearsal. But I think the difference is, is like when I would um, go to fix something, oftentimes I would say things like, you know, please don't put a glottal there, you know, where you're attacking the vowel. And I would say, hey, raise your hand if you don't know what a glottal is. I'm happy to explain it. You might do that in the professional world, but somebody's probably going to pull you aside and maybe ask you what that is, right? Where in the, in a, in an academic environment, you are there to be teaching them. And so I would talk about why maybe we wouldn't put one there. And so I think it's just a little different. I think it's just a little different in that sense. It's, it's, it's meant to be a learning experience as they're going, but also putting up a great product. So, right. Yeah. And I think, uh, I, and I will have to say as far as orchestra goes, um, uh, your, your resources, you do have less res- as far as money, you do have less money than in professional theater. I remember at Elon though, I was very fortunate with the players I got when I started there, I heard, you know, we were going to have all local players. And I was like, Oh, that's great. And I was, I was just shocked. I, I had great, I had really great players at, at Elon that I got from the area. I was always thrilled with the orchestras as I put together. Right. You know, thus far, nobody has said, you know, um, has, has mentioned the area where I live in, like, like who listens from outside. Right. Uh, you know, it's like, why, why are you always talking about, you know, North Carolina theater? You know, and, and as I've mentioned before, it's like this area, because I think it's because of so many universities with good music programs. You know? I agree. I agree. I mean, I remember when I did my very, uh, so I remember, well, the third year I was there, we did Sweeney Todd, but I remember one of the first shows I did there, we needed uh, a lot of chairs. It was Hello Dolly. We needed um, my very, that was my very first show at Elon mm-hmm. back in 2017. And we needed um, several chairs with redoublers. And I was like, do you have a lot? Cause even in Chicago, I mean, we have a lot of redoublers, but there is like a finite amount, right. That can play like multiple reed instruments. And, um, when I remember Kate, Kate was like, Oh no, no, we're good. We're good. And oh, I yeah. had, I, I was like, and then I ended up finding out like there's some things that are taught at UNCG and, and then there just are people in the area that are phenomenal read doublers. And I was like, wow, I thought that might be my issue. And it yeah. wasn't. I know so many people who play multiple reads. It's actually been an issue for this podcast. I'm like, well, I either can't ask all of them or I'm going to have to space these episodes out. Otherwise we're talking about the same thing. I, I couldn't believe it. Just, and, and not just like double, triple reads, but like really good on all the instruments, not right. like barely getting by. on one, You know what I mean? It's right. like really, really fine players. So. Right. And Elon puts on great produ- productions. I mean, it's unfortunate. I've never gotten to actually see one. I got to play for parade in 2016. Um, okay. Yeah, um, I, I don't even know if it was a real book. I played it on a keyboard too. And I've looked up, I've looked up rental materials and never seen it there, but it had the, uh, the accordion parts and, and a few uh-huh. supplemental uh, mental things. But um, after that, uh, I started, a, I had a standing gig uh, with a local school and uh, their opening night was always, well, the rehearsal process was so closely dovetailed with Elon's. 
Mm-hmm. And also, you know, in nearby Greensboro, you have um, the annual production of The Wizard of Oz, which has an orchestra of 19. And it, oh, wow. it's like, and then not even to mention some of the other cities and the community theaters that have uh, ongoing shows. But like, n- that was November. November was just always, um, if I know I'm doing a show, I better start getting musicians, you know, in July. <laughs> I learned that early on and I made some mistakes with that. Kate's like, you know, the contractor obviously in that area would be like, you gotta, mm-hmm. you have to. And I was like, wow, like there is a lot going on here. I had no idea. So. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about, um, just from your perspective and your experiences, um, what is your world like being a, a woman as a professional conductor and music director? Yeah, you know, I believe, uh, I think it's, it's definitely changed over the years. It's definitely getting better, um, for us. Um, you know, when I was coming up, there weren't as many music people who music directed, conducted as there are now. Now there's actually a group on Facebook. Well, it's on Facebook, but it's also just a big group. I do their, I go to their webinars and have met a few, um, people in it. It's called Maestra. Mm-hmm. It was started by Georgia Stitt, mm-hmm. um, and uh, she started this group, and it's nationwide now. And we have like webinar meetings. It's been pretty active actually over over the pandemic. And it's basically a support kind of a support network. I was saying support group. It's not really a support group, right. but it's like a support network, you know, of music directors, composers, contractors. Um, you know, programmers, uh, people in the electronic end of the technical end of things. And it's really been a great, um, it's been a great resource. I would say I felt like growing up a little bit, I always had to work just a little harder than my male counterparts to get to where I wanted to be. Um, I was, I was fortunate in the sense that I was definitely given opportunities and I worked with people who gave me the opportunities, but I did feel like it's it, at least when I was coming up, it was such a male dominated field at the time. But I do think that is slowly, there's still work to go. There still need to be more, more women involved, but I do believe it's definitely shifting, but I definitely felt like I always had to work just a little harder. To right. Get right. Yeah. Um, you know, I recently uh, spoke to um, an African-American woman about, you know, her experiences. And she yeah. mentioned one thing that really stuck out at me. And I and I suspect that this is probably common for for a lot of women. And that's just the sense of when you do a good job getting, especially for like from your male audience or your male coworkers, the response of, wow, I wasn't expecting it to be that good. That was something that she mentioned. It, it's it's like, yeah. well, what what did you expect? You know, you hired me. I'm a professional. Um, this is what I do for a living. Whereas, you know, if a guy does a good job, you know, for for something that you saw him do, right? You don't really think much. Of, I mean, you might say that's a good job, but it doesn't surprise you the way it seems that it does, or at least used to more often than it does. But um, absolutely. It, no, I think that I could see, yeah, I, that that comment absolutely makes sense. I mean, I've had a, once or twice when I was music directing the show, they're like, oh, you're the music director? Right. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. I am. <laughs> so, 
you know, um, I think, I think also, and I think one other little thing, and I think you'll hear this across industries a little bit, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, you know how techs can be things like can get a little tense, you know, people are tired and, you know, maybe if something's not going right or something, and if I have to like be firm about something or whatever, it's just sort of the way it's received sometimes being a woman, it's like, Oh, she's all upset. Whereas if a guy had to put their foot down, Right. Nobody really think twice about it. Be like, okay, whatever. <laughs> right. You know? Um, you know, one of the guests I talked to, um, she uh, she lives in Los Angeles, and she wrote a musical um, that that was in process, was on stage, <laughs> and it was it was about women, um, and, and it was called Glass Ceilings, and it was about yeah. uh, it was about famous, you know, women that people should know in history, famous women, like one of them that actually played for the Yankees for an entire game. Uh, But, you know, like she was striking out Lou Gehrig and striking out Babe Ruth and, Mm. um, you know, in batting practice. And they're like, "Um, no, we we can't we can't have that. We can't have a woman (laughs) making us look bad. Uh, But she said she was inspired to write that musical uh, by by watching the 2016 election. And and she was comparing it to not even anything political. It was just the way people responded to Hillary Clinton um, compared to like, not even before Donald, even before Donald Trump came in there, you know, compared to like all of her male, all the other males in in her career. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It it was always like she was judged for how she laughed, how she dressed. And, and that just seems to always be kind of a, a thing that I, I think if you're a professional woman, it just seems like that's an issue that guys don't have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely, it's definitely, like I said, I, I always try to be positive and say it's def- we're definitely coming along. Mm-hmm. And I think the younger generation just won't have it. Right. You know what I mean? So I think it's going to even be shifting even quicker, you know? And I remember, um, you know, women that are older than me saying, like, if I would get very frustrated and be like, I'm going to leave the industry because I'm so sick of, you know, X, Y, or Z. And they would say to me, no, 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 you can't. And obviously I love what I do. I would never quit what I do, but it'd be in a moment of frustration or something, you know, or, you know, very dramatic. But, you know, they would say to me, listen, we paved the way for you. Now you need to pave the way for the next generation. And it's getting better and better. And then they would tell me stories of what it was like for them. And I would be like, oh, okay, you're right. It's right. just, you got to keep moving forward. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, some places it develops slower than others. Like, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I should have looked this up before we started, but it just crossed in my head. Um, I, I remember during my lifetime, the Berlin Philharmonic, at least at one point, was all men. And oh, and I don't know if that ever, I assume that changed, but I haven't I confirmed. Think I think it's shifted since, but yeah, there's programs now. Like I think, I think it's down at Dallas opera. Um, the conductor, there, artistic director has developed sort of a program for uh, female conductors specifically to help jumpstart their careers a little bit. So I think, you know, I definitely think there's definitely more of a focus on it these okay. days. Uh, do you have a horror story from your experiences in the pit? Yeah. Oh man, there there are several things that would ha- that have happened. One of the things that happened, I was doing um, I was doing a show, and um, 
I was sitting there with, with the pit and it was a dialogue scene. Mm -hmm. And, um, and this was a horror thing I caused actually. I mean, the whole thing didn't fall apart, but so I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm like, why is that window like in the orchestra? I believe we were like in the back of the stage, but the, the, there was this window coming down from the, from the ceiling, you know, it was like a, it was a part of the set. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was like, wow, that thing is making a lot of noise. And I hear my violinist up in back of me, he's poking me and he's saying, Val, Val. And I'm like, what? And, you know, I thought he was just, I'm like, why are you talking? He's like, wow, we're supposed to be playing. I completely <laughs> didn't play the transition music. Oh. And so the whole thing just kind of came down in silence. And, you know, <laughs> I think the actors were like, what is happening? Right. So, yeah, just one of those. I was listening to the dialogue and, you know, it just, yeah. I've had, I've had two fears as a music director going into shows and they both have happened and you know thankfully afterwards i realized well it wasn't that horrible <laughs> but but one was what you mentioned it's like not playing for transition or um it's like starting way too late uh, the the other one was um when i was conducting losing the baton because on an upbeat right. on the upbeat it's like here's the stand and it just went right out of my hand and actually rolled right under the pit and I had to get it afterwards. But I, I had a very perceptive percussionist on that and uh, he watched the whole thing and he just quickly handed me a drumstick. <laughs> I conducted the oh, rest of Act Two with a drumstick. There you go, right? And you can always conduct it with your hand if you have to. I would say also probably the scariest thing I had happen was um, it was prior to a show. I was on my way to do a production of Gypsy here in Chicago at Chicago Shakes, and um, I was driving to the theater. And I generally get to the theater at least an hour early. That's mm -hmm. just my thing, I, especially with Chicago traffic. I don't want to ever get stuck All not right. being here on time. And so I'm on my way. And, and Lakeshore Drive, which I was on, which is the main thoroughfare here, had closed down. And I was like, oh, my God. And you couldn't get, you couldn't get off. You couldn't even move. Right. And I turned the radio on and ended up finding out there was some sort of high-speed chase coming the other way. And some guy was being chased from, like, Indiana or something like that. So they had to shut everything down. And I kept calling. And me and I think there were a couple actors stuck in it as well. I kept calling saying, I don't think I'm going to make the start of the show. Mm. And then eventually they routed us off and wound us around. I did not. Sh and, and there was a rule. There were like five, four or 500 people in the audience. And they said if at half hour after the show was supposed to start. So it started, I don't know, I think it was two, maybe at two 30. If it, if I showed up after two 30, I think there was some sort of union rule or something like you could release everybody, but the audience basically sat and waited. I walked in at like two 27, wow. walked in the back door, didn't even park. Somebody had to go park my car and ran up to the, <laughs> ran up to the thing and started the show. <laughs> so, yeah. And the actor, I think one of the actors showed up like, 10 minutes before me or something. I, I can so picture that whole thing. I, I remember Lake Shore well. Um, yeah. we, we drove up to Chicago, and I I tried to avoid having to drive as much as I could. It's like I, 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 took, the, I took every line of the L, you know, and, and while I was there. But, um, you know, there's some, there are times that, that I had to drive. And, uh, yeah, I remember Lake Shore. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those things you can't – you don't plan for something like that, no matter how early you think you're going to get there. Right. They're going to shut something down, and you're in the middle of it. There's not much you can really do. Right. 
Is there a particularly fond memory that you have uh, from a show? Yeah, there's so many. Um, you know, I when I did Follies, once again, at Chicago Shakespeare, that was a just a really um, beautiful show. And I think one of my fondest memories, well, just the cast. It was just, we got to be on stage. I got a, to be on stage with, I think it was 16 pieces, 15 or 16 piece, sort of a big band with just really amazing players. And and Stephen Sondheim actually came to one of our performances because oh, wow. Gary Griffin, our director, um, and he are, were friends. And so that was really special and incredibly nerve-wracking, too, to have him oh, in yeah. the audience, of course. But, um, but yeah, that was really special and to get to meet him after and get our picture. You know, it was kind of funny. It's like I... I don't consider myself somebody who gets very starstruck, but I will have to say when I met Stephen Sondheim, I was like, I was, that was one of those moments for me that I, right. I think I got a little starstruck. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, are, are there any special projects going on that you haven't talked about that you want to share? Um, you know, um, like I said, I was, I had three shows when I returned to Chicago that all got, moved canceled um most of them got moved hopefully the next one i have coming up fingers crossed will be next fall assuming we're all back you know and i think that's what we're all hoping for by that point um i'll be doing forever plaid which is kind of a fun show um i'm doing that with um paul stancato who uh is a really wonderful director from new york city who we actually brought into elon to do we will rock you which was loads of fun um and so he and i got to know each other during that so we're going to be doing that together in a in a year that might be my next show unless something comes up before that we're allowed to gather before that i'm just i think i'm one of the more skeptical ones i think it's going to be a few months still uh, do you have a do you have a website or or any social media you'd like to share where I'm people can follow? Developing you? a website, but I have um so that's not up and running yet. It will be Valerie Mays. Okay. <laughs> ValerieMays.com. It's I have the domain bot. Um, I'm working actually currently working on it, but I am on Instagram, Valerie.Mays, um, and I'm on Facebook as well. All right. Well, again, thank you for taking the time uh, to interview me. Yeah, of course. Thank you. And that wraps up episode number 28. I will be back next Friday, December 4th, to present episode number 29. Uh, I'm going to be talking to someone who plays basically all of the brass instruments. We're, he's going, we're going to be talking about someone who does not promote themselves as either a trumpet player or a French horn player or a trombone, but someone who does brass combinations. And um, that, that was a fun interview. I've already recorded it, and I can't wait to share it with you next week. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next... Be sure to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Life in the Pit Pod. And you can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or Twitter and Facebook at David M. Lane Music. As always, a special thanks to Mark Parolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. All original music is composed and performed by David Lane. For the time being, you can find out more about this podcast or leave feedback through davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app, and please share with your friends. Thank you for listening.